chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. We printed up some little cards for you to take home. Last year, whenever we uh, came to the first Sunday of last year, we remember we talked about the prayer of Jabez. And we printed that prayer up on a card like this and gave everybody a little one. You can put this in your wallet. You can keep it with you. And one of our families was just telling me the other day that, uh, that their daughter, I think age 13, has been praying the prayer of Jabez every day uh, throughout this whole year. And so I hope many people will be as faithful uh, with, with these little items that I'm sharing with you today as some of you were with the prayer of Jabez. You know, I, um, I enjoy New Year's resolutions. I don't keep too many of them, but I enjoy thinking about them. Have you ever heard about the man who moved into a retirement community to spend the rest of his life? It wasn't long until he met a number of friends among the other residents. There was one lady he was especially attracted to, and she was attracted to him. So they spent a lot of time together, and finally one evening he proposed, asking her to marry him. The next morning he woke up remembering his proposal, but he couldn't remember the answer. So he went to her and said, I'm really embarrassed. I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. Oh, thank goodness, she replied. I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> you know, forgetfulness is a part of life. It really is. And, and the older you get, the more you'll appreciate that right there. But, you know, when we make these, when we make these New Year's resolutions, uh, it's so easy to forget them, isn't it? And so what I've done is I've made these as simple as I can make them today for you. Uh, three life-changing prayers. Let's look at this for the new year. And let's say it together, okay? First of all, the first one is what? I surrender all. The second one, teach me to pray. And the third one, use me today. Now, I think if you will post them in some nice place that you can see them each day and think about them, I think they'll be a help to you throughout the whole year. In Genesis chapter 32, we find the story of, uh, of Jacob. Uh, there are so many chapters in Genesis about him. Uh, he came to a place in his life, and it took him a long time to get there, that he really stopped running from God and started running to God. I think he was interested in building his life like Josh was saying earlier up here, uh, getting what he could get out of life, because remember down there at, in his uncle's home in Laban, he, he amassed a lot of wealth, really. Uh, but there then became this time that he wanted to make his way home. He wanted to go back and face his past, and he wanted to make things right with God. And sometimes it takes people a long time to get there, you know, after you go through all the uh, the little things of life and all the things you th think you need to go through, uh, then it dawns on you, hey, listen, what am I here for? I direct your attention this morning to Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched 
the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I've underlined that in my Bible because that's important. Uh, Jacob wanted to get a hold of God so desperately and realized that he needed the blessing of God in his life so desperately that he was willing to prevail with God uh, to get what God really wanted to give him anyway. And so I've underlined that in my Bible. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And I've, written, I've underlined in my Bible the word prevail because that's what God wants us to do with him. The scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. And I think all of these thoughts were coming together into Jacob's mind, and he was ready. I'll tell you, this was the, this was the defining moment of his life right here. And uh, God said, listen, you prevailed with me. That's quite an interesting thought. Then Jacob uh, asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Uh, Jacob got a hold of God and asked God for a blessing, and God blessed him. We know that uh, the book of James teaches we have not because what? We ask not, right? And I submit to you today that every single person in our room this morning does really need the blessing of God, and in our heart we really want the blessing of God, don't we, for the new year? Verse 30 said, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Uh, the Lord did bless him. He changed his name. Uh, he gave him a physical reminder of his time alone with God. Uh, you know, there is this imagery in the Bible that man is uh, running from God. And uh, I can sense sometimes in my own life, I'm not always am I running to God. Sometimes I'm running away from God. There is this imagery in the Bible. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament, remember God created that perfect environment and put that perfect couple in there and said, listen, there's only one law in this place. Don't touch that. And they couldn't wait till he turned his back so they could touch that. And as soon as they did, they realized that they had broken God's law and they had offended a holy God, and they ran away. They ran away from God. Uh, they ran from his presence, and that we call guilt. That's why sometimes we don't want to be in the presence of people who are walking with God because we feel guilty there. And so that's always been an issue with man. Jacob here was on the run for a long period of his life. I've, I've been reading and rereading this past, uh, this past week about Jacob. Uh, remember, uh, he was the kid who was born a twin, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, and when his mother realized that she was pregnant with twins, uh, she was having this problem. There was all this activity inside of her, and it was unusual. It was like these two boys were fighting each other. And she went to the Lord, and the Lord says, that's a picture of what's going to happen to them in the future. They're going to be fighting all the time. 
Uh, there's two nations there. They're going to be fighting one against another. I remember when uh, we came to our church here and our two first boys, Danny and John, were just little kids. They were 14 months apart. We felt like we had twins. You know, you just get over the shock of one and oh, whoop, here comes another one. And we used to take the kids out to the mall and people would say, boy, those are nice twins you got there because they were about the same size. One lady in the church came up to me and she said, I just want to tell you one thing. You, I have boys. She said, I have three boys. They fight each other all the time. I just want you to get ready. Your kids are going to fight all the time. I want to go on record. That lady was exactly right. Uh, but uh, Jacob and Esau, they fought before they were born. Uh, and then you remember the story well. One parent favored one kid. The other parent favored the other kid. And uh, they concocted this, uh, this trick uh, to get the birthright from, from Esau. And they pulled it off. And whenever Esau's birthright was taken away from him by the trickery of Jacob, uh, Esau said, I hate him and I'm going to kill him. Now, that's more than sibling rivalry right there. He says, I'm going to kill him. And so, and so Jacob took off for 20 years. He ran away from his past. He was afraid. Um, any of us would have done the same thing. Uh, but uh, Jacob is known in the Bible for being uh, uh, a deceiver, a person who tricked other people. And we're familiar with Galatians 6, 7, aren't we? Uh, let's uh, see that on the screen. Galatians 6. Let's read it together, okay? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You know, that's why the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. You know, when somebody judges another person, you know what that means? They're going to be judged one day. They're going to get back what they give out. And so Jacob was doing his thing, getting his own way. And then he ran away and he ended up, with, he ended up in a home of someone who was more tricky than he was, his uncle Laban. And uh, he outwitted him a number of times. Well, after a period of about 20 years, Jacob got in his heart that he wanted to go back home. And, uh, and here we find him on the way back home. And he's almost ready to meet his brother Esau. And he, doesn't, he hasn't communicated with him all this time. And he's thinking in his heart, is he going to kill me? And so he prays to God and says, God, deliver me from Esau. And uh, he gets everything organized. And then this is the last final picture before he meets his brother. He gets serious with God. You know, God uses fear and crisis to show us that we need Him in our life. Do you know that? And I'll tell you, we live in a fearful world, don't we? We really do. God uses crisis in our life, uh, not to get us to run away from Him, but to get us to run to Him. And so I think the, the Bible also, of course, teaches us that on occasions there are just a few people that come to God on the basis of God's goodness. And here's a verse I want to share with you this morning, Romans 2.4. Uh, let's read this one together. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? This is an interesting verse. Many people don't know it's there because it's 
Uh, it's almost beyond our pale of imagination. Uh, the Bible says there are a few people who come to repentance because God has been so good to them. Not many, but a few. Most people come to God when, uh, when there is no one else to come to. Uh, when the crisis of life is so heavy and the burdens are so, uh, so difficult. And I think that's the story we have here in front of us. Uh, uh, the point I'm trying to make right now is God wants us to surrender all. And I think that's what Jacob did, that surrender all. You know, it's so nice to be able to surrender all. Some people want to give their life to God piecemeal. You know, well, I'll give this part of my life and... Then maybe if God puts enough pressure on me over here, I'll give this part of my life. And maybe one of these days, I'll even have the faith to give that part of my life, which I don't really want to give to God at all. And maybe God will be happy with all these little parts that I give him, so I don't have to give him that part. But, you know, there is no peace in a person's heart until they really say to God, I surrender, say it with me all, because it, it just relieves you of all the stress and the strain of holding back from God, keeping away from God what He, what he uh, wants to bless in your life. Well, uh, Romans 12, verse number 1, is uh, Paul's version of this. Let's read this together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says, I beg you. I beg you because God has been so merciful to you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, let's just take those words one by one. He says, first of all, I beg you. Secondly, I want you to present your bodies. And the image here is of a sacrifice. Whenever people back in those days went to sacrifice, they went out and what did they do? They tried to choose the best sacrifice. They, they weren't interested in the one that was marred. They wanted the best sacrifice. And so that's what God wants from us. He wants your best life. He doesn't, he's not interested in what's left over. He wants your best life. And I think that's why it's so cool Uh, to be able to teach our young people in our church list, give your life to Christ when you're young so God can get the the most out of it and the best out of it. There are many older people that come to Christ, but they regret so many times that they weren't able to come to Christ or didn't come to Christ when they were young. Uh, I want you to present your your best life. Uh, This same word, present here, is used... Uh, In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, when Jesus was presented uh, in the temple. Uh, Romans 6, 13. Do we have that? There it is. Let's read this. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Oh, this is so cool. You know, you just think about what you did with your members, your body, before you became a Christian. You did this. You presented your your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. You did all sorts of things that were wrong, all sorts of things that were unrighteous. God says, now listen, I want you now to present your members as instruments of righteousness. 
I want you to use your body, use everything you have for a righteous cause. Let's call it, as he does, a living sacrifice. I've had people say to me through the years, you know, I'd gladly give my life to die for the Lord. God doesn't want that. He wants you to live for him. I think it's a whole lot easier to say, hey, listen, I'll be a martyr uh, than, than to say, listen, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm living. I'm going out in this world. I'm living for Christ. That's what God wants. A living sacrifice. And then he, and then he says, uh, I want it to be holy. How do we do that? We do that by asking Christ to cleanse us. Now, here's a prayer that for a long time I was pretty reluctant to pray. It's found in Psalm 139. 23 and 24. Let's read it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is giving God permission to look into your heart. Search me, O God. Search my heart. Test me. I want you to know what I'm really about and then see if there's any wicked way in me. And so what this is, is your prayer to ask God to look into your heart, to put the flashlight in your heart, to look into the corners, the places you fear to go, the places, the places you wish God would not go. Uh, this is a bold prayer. It really is. Uh, this is saying, Lord, put me to the test. I want to see areas in my life that need to be gone so that I can render and present to you my members as instruments for righteousness. Uh, I was always a little bit afraid of this prayer when I was younger. I'm not anymore, but I was then. Um, and he says here in, in Romans 12, this is your reasonable service. This is just a reasonable thing to do. We are the Lord's by creation and recreation. Uh, I surrender all. I want to encourage you in this new year. Uh, to not give your life to God piecemeal. Take this this year. Next year, I'll give that year. Say, Lord, listen, this is it. Here I am. Right now is a new day in my life. Everything I have, everything I ever hope to have, everything I've got, it all belongs to you. I take complete, I, I surrender it all to you. The second thing, the second prayer is this, teach me to pray. Uh, I want to experience you. A missionary emailed me from Australia. I met him when I was there several years ago. And he said, I'm struggling with my prayer life. Can you give me some advice? And I said, why don't you, uh, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray this prayer? Lord, teach me to pray. And he came back at me and he said, well, that's a good idea. And he's a missionary in Australia. For many years. He said, I'm struggling with my prayer life. Uh, you know, when we struggle with anything, the thing that I found out is the best thing to do always is to pray about it. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. But, you know, a lot of times we use that as the ending point. And, you know, when we can't do it ourselves, I guess we'll pray, right? Last resort. Uh, I'm here to today to tell you, let's do this as a first resort. You know, we, uh, we want to we want to get started on the right foot. We want to have the right resolutions for the new year. And oftentimes what we do is we write them down and we roll up our sleeves, and that's one good way to fail. But if we write them down and we pray about them, isn't that the way to succeed? It sure is. 
if it's in the Lord's will, I'll tell you what, God. And boy, that prayer. Do you think God wants to answer that prayer? Teach me to pray. Well, in Luke, remember Luke, and I got that from Luke 11.1. 1, the Bible says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, his disciples looked at him and they saw that they, he had something special about his life and that was his prayer life. Uh, listen to this verse. John 5.30 says this, I do nothing without consulting the Father. That's Jesus. Listen again. I do nothing without consulting the Father. He is our example of how we should live in our, in our world. And so he said, I, I do nothing without consulting the Father. Uh, you know, prayer opens up a whole world of possibilities. You know, I, I've said this before. I, this thought is scary to me. To be a missionary is scary to me. Because our, we've been on many mission trips, and I know what, what the future is for missionaries out there. And I've said, and this is a statement you don't have to back up. So I said it. If I had to live my life all over again, I'd probably want to be a missionary rather than a pastor in America uh, because the missionary is, uh, is more needed than a past, another pastor in America. Uh, it's more difficult. It's more challenging. And I think in the end result, it's probably more rewarding. Uh, and, and so since that's not going to happen in my life, I can do the easy thing. I can travel to the mission field through prayer. And hasn't it been great since we've had our, our list there? I just have so much fun going down through that list. Lord, provide this home for Bob Marshall in Wales. Provide this funds, these funds for Sam Wilson. He grew up in the church too. He's in Russia, Moscow. Provide the funds for Sam. And so I can travel there without having to go there. Isn't that a good deal? Well, I guess the greater blessing, though, is for someone to be able to go there. Uh, but prayer opens up a whole world of possibilities. Seeking God enables us to experience Him. You know, many people come to church and they, the only thing they know about God is what they've heard about God. Uh, just the facts and the figures, that's all. Boy, when a person really begins to spend time with God in prayer, then they begin to experience God. Then they begin to know God experientially and they become His friend. And they can truly then say, I have a relationship with the Lord. I think that many people who use that little word relationship really don't have a relationship. They've been introduced to Christ, but, you know, a relationship is something different than that. A relationship is developed through time spent with each other. And so, and so I don't want to heap this on you this morning. I just want to get you started in the right direction I just want you to leave this church today and say, Lord, teach me to pray. And really, when you say that, what you're saying is, teach me to experience you. Teach me to spend time with you. Teach me to really know you in an experiential way. I want to have a relationship with you, Lord, not just a head knowledge. Teach me to pray. All of us can do that. We can pray that. Uh, and then this other thought. See it there? Use me today. Uh, that's an interesting thought. 
Matthew 16.25 says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love this verse. I really do. You know, in our world, in our culture, isn't it all about me? Yeah, it's like, what can I get? And, you know, I don't think I'll ever get that out of my system because I was kind of born with that. So were you. You know, get out there and make a success of yourself. Get all you can and can all you can get. And uh, hold on to it as long as you can. Uh, and uh, pile it up. Create more barns. But, uh, you know, the philosophy of Jesus is different. He says, if you desire to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you give your life away, if you give what you have away, you will keep it. You won't lose it. Now, that's hard for us to digest because we've, we've, learned, all the, we've learned all the other things, right? Uh, we've learned how to look out for us. Uh, use me today, Lord. I want to serve you. The reason why I've added this to our little list this morning is because I, I prayed this a lot last summer. Use me today, Lord. I, I really did. And you know what? I just have... God did when I prayed that simple prayer. I do this little thing in the summer. You're familiar with what I do in the summer sometimes. You know, I have this classic car and I go to these shows and we all stand around and gawk at each other's car. You know, my wife is about thrilled. I mean, she's turned off, I think. I used to take her to the car shows down here at Mineral Beach, and I'm all excited. Man, I love to hear those engines running and all that. That stuff turns me on, you know. And uh, we'd walk around, and, and we'd go around twice. She'd say, how many more times do we have to walk around to see these cars? Her heart just wasn't in it. She had no heart for it. And, you know, I could, like, walk all night looking at these cars. I mean, I'm that's just... I enjoy doing that. Uh, but, uh, but you know what I, I don't enjoy? I don't enjoy just doing that. I enjoy, wherever I go, being used by God for a purpose. I, I just don't want to have fun for fun's sake. I, I just, I've just never been into that. I've just never been into, hey, hey, let's just go have fun together. I want to go, yeah, have fun, but I want to have some spiritual connection to it. And so I can't tell you how many times this last summer I prayed that prayer, Lord, use me today. And wow, God really put something together that was surprising. And so I I give that to you. Share your life. Uh, I was reading reading about Jim Elliott. Do you remember him? Jim Elliott was one of the five Christian martyrs that went to Ecuador and died to spread the gospel. It's a wonderful story. Just go on the internet and punch in Jim Elliot. And remember, he was the guy that wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, I want us to read this, okay? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What he's saying here is I want you to give your life away Because you can't keep it. And all the stuff you get, you can't keep that. But if you give it away, you can keep it. And that's what he did. I went on the Internet and I looked up his site and I printed out 
his entry in his journal. And there it is in his own handwriting. He is no fool who gives what he, what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He wrote it. And he gave his whole life. And you know, some of you remember that event. It was way back in 1956. Uh, he wrote that in 1949. And they made a movie out of, it, out of it. And many, many hundreds of people have gone to the mission field because this guy said, listen, I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm giving it all. Uh, I want to encourage you uh, to, to surrender all to Christ a whole lot earlier than Jacob did. You know, Jacob, remember the Bible says he grabbed onto the heel of his brother Esau when he was being born, and then he grabbed Esau's birthright. But the greatest grab he ever made was when he grabbed a hold of God and he wouldn't let go. go. I want to encourage you to do that this year, okay? Grab a hold of God and say, God, this is it. No more phony baloney. This is the real deal. I surrender all. Teach me to pray. Use me, Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I, uh, I want to ask you this morning to get started on the right foot. By praying these little prayers each day, and meaning them from your heart. I surrender all, Lord. I'm tired of running from you. I'm tired of trying to give my life to you like in segments, in pieces. I want to present everything I got to you, Lord. And then I want, to, I want you to teach me to pray. I want a new life. I want a life that walks with you. And then, and then Lord, I want you to push me out into this world and use me. I want to follow you. And I, I want to invite you to Surrender to those propositions this morning. Dear Lord, as we come into your presence today and as we come to the conclusion of our service, I pray that on this first Sunday that you will spur in us a new vision of what you can do in our life. Lord, teach us to surrender to you. Teach us to pray. Because it's our desire to be used by you every day of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing to the Lord. If you'd like to come on this first Sunday and kneel here in the front of the church and pray to the Lord. If you'd, if you'd like to come forward today and say, listen, I surrender all, I want to encourage you to do that right now. Okay? If the Lord is speaking to you, why don't you just come and pray on this first Sunday, all right? Just step out into the nearest aisle and come down here and say, Okay, God, this is it. I surrender all. Thank you for the price you 